This is episode 335. Do you feel stuck in a rut? In a job you don't like? In a relationship that's destroying your soul? In a financial situation that feels like an all-consuming pit of death? Social media, TV series, the news, and now AI are constantly painting a utopian reality that we all wish we had. The cars, the travel, the freedom, the sculpted bodies, the romantic love fantasies, the passion. And it's leaving most of us making loads of poor choices and ending up with lives that are deeply unfulfilling and even instigating of depression and suicide. In this episode, we talk about the mindset, the choices and the people that need to be different in order for you to start turning your life around. And there's also a very practical seven-question process to do for 30 days that will begin making this a reality for you. There's no time like the present to transform your health and your life, and normal people do this every single day, just like you. So, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Good to have you here hanging out with me in your ears and bringing you the good stuff that just might get you thinking and moving down a different path, which really is the main reason anyone listens to these episodes, hoping to find their way onto a new path with their health and wellness and their life. Now, in 2024, it's my mission to coach 500 people to get control of their sugar cravings and sugar binges so they can stop yo-yo dieting, stop obsessing about food, and finally create a body that they feel confident being in. Now, today's guest, and fast becoming a household name here on the show, given we've done a number of episodes now, and they're always received so incredibly well by everyone, which you can scroll back and listen to or watch, those being episode 157 and 203, both worthy of your time once you're finished here. Who am I speaking about? The one and only polymath, Dr. John Martini a world-renowned human behavior expert with not one, not two, but five decades of research across multiple disciplines. He's an author. He runs a plethora of programs that have seen tens of thousands of students. He appeared in the famous film The Secret back in the day, and the two of us were both in the same documentary last year, which is pretty cool for me to be able to say. John, you're such an epic human. Welcome back to the show, mate. Thank you for having me again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so good to see you. We were just chatting before that the last time we caught up, you were in Iceland, and now you're in the US. <laughs> I am in Los Angeles, or Santa Monica, actually, and uh, just watched the sunset. And you know what was interesting? I was standing there watching the sunset, and there was a lady standing there that I happened to run into in Algiers on the ship one year ago. Wow. Just happened to stand right next to him. One of those synchronicities. You know, I have those amazing synchronicities. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. And it's somebody that you knew well or just coincidentally ran into? No, just happened to be there in Algiers when we came in. They welcomed us very much. We had a motorcade, literally a military-guided motorcade tour of the a lot of places in Algiers because we were one of the first ships that came in there with tourism. And um, so it was a very amazing thing. She just happened to be at that time. So it's just one of those synchronicities in life. Yeah, that's amazing. I was curious as well, as I was doing that little intro there, because there's so much that can be said about you. 
when you yourself attend a dinner party or an event and you're introduced to people or somebody that doesn't quite know who you are or has never heard about your work, how do you answer that question? <laughs> if they say, who are you or what do you do? Is that the question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just tell them that I'm a, an educator. I love teaching, researching, writing, and traveling the world, and I do exactly those four things. That's That's it. Yeah. I'm useless outside that. <laughs> I, if you try to get me to do pretty well anything else, I've I've surrounded myself with experts to take care of the rest. <laughs> I, I've delegated everything other than teach, research, write, and travel. Well, I mean, you're far from useless, but <laughs> there's so many ways that uh, those things can be applied to people's lives. So I guess, yeah, let's let's get into unpacking some of that stuff. So something uh, that I was also thinking about as I saw our booking this week approaching, I was like, oh, what do I want to talk to John about this time? And a, a conversation that keeps coming up in my world in the context of health and wellness and human progress and behavior change is the influence or the impact of AI and how that relates to the human experience and whether or not you know, in the beginning, it obviously is same with Facebook and social media back in the day. In the beginning, it looked really amazing. And then slowly, it sort of took over people's lives and dopamine addiction and, and addiction to these platforms existed. And I'm curious, like, where are you at with this whole idea of AI and how it's going to influence us? Well, each individual will determine that. You know, I have people that say that, you know, they've become addicted to the social media and they spend hours on it. I teach research, write, travel. I'm on social media if I'm doing a presentation, but I don't sit there and dwell on social media all day long and get distracted by it. So it's based on the individual priority. We can't blame the AI, really, because there's nothing there except uh, information. It's your own individual decision to whether you engage in it or do it moderately or excessively or whatever. It's your decision. So I use it only for my objective. I don't sit there and get you know, lost in it. And I think that some people want to blame something on the outside for whatever they're doing. And I don't find that very productive. I think being accountable for your reality is much wiser. False attribution biases on AI or on other people or on inventors of other things or whatever is not the way to mastery. I think that's a, you become a victim of history instead of a master of destiny if you blame things. So be accountable and prioritize your life. If you have something really deeply meaningful, something very inspiring, something of high priority that you're really committed to doing, you'll use AI as a means to an end. If you don't have something that fills your day that's high in priority, you'll probably end up with AI as a distraction. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things about social media or AI or any of these platforms that sort of automate your life or automate your psychology or your thinking for you. And, you know, it's all of that, as you suggested, it's that outsourcing of responsibility in many ways. But I guess as well, like, it's kind of like the idea of how do you wake up before you know that you're asleep? And, you know, a lot of people complain about the problem and possibly don't even know or have the awareness or that weren't raised around people that you know, expose them to the idea that you actually can choose your destiny, you can actually make different choices. And so what do you think needs to happen in order for people to gain that control? What's the step that wakes people up? Everybody has a set of priorities, a set of values. And I mentioned this. And whenever you're living by the highest priority, your blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, where you activate the executive function, and you live by priority. So if you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, that are meaningful, your day is designed to fill up with low priority distractions that don't. And AI can be used as a means to an end, or it can be used as a distraction from an end. 
So it all depends on whether you prioritize. Uh, you know, it's whatever time you have allotted, it fills up the time based on what you have an agenda on. I have a very busy schedule. If I showed you my agenda, it's from early in the morning till early in the morning. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I keep a very busy schedule doing what I do because I learned that if I do, I'm more productive. I have a more meaningful life. I'm inspired by what I'm doing because I only fill it with what inspires me. And I don't get distracted as easily because you've got a very strong agenda. I, I use the analogy of, of a let's say a woman's about to get married in three weeks. And she's got a desire to be showing in the in the wedding dress and look her best. And so the three weeks before the wedding, she's not going to be pigging out. She's not going to be going and be distracted. She's going to be getting herself into the perfect shape that she wants because she's got something meaningful. Now, the day of the wedding, once that day is done, <laughs> she might overeat. She might overdrink. She may get distracted, whatever, because she doesn't have something meaningful to fill her day. So I tell people, be accountable to fill your day with things how you want it instead of how, or it's going to fill up with how you don't. And social media can be used for a great cause. And so can AI be used for a great cause. Use it. It's like eating. If you're eating to live instead of living to eat, you select your foods wisely for performance. But if not, you're going to impulse buy and you're going to just be overeating and based on whatever's on the table. So I'm a firm believer of prioritizing what you do in life, prioritizing the people you associate with, prioritize the actions you take, prioritize what you feed your mind and read and learn and watch. And if it's not highest in priority, it's going to fill up with low priority distractions. So take command of your life. Nobody's going to get up in the morning and dedicate to life to your fulfillment. If you're not doing it, nobody else is. Don't expect a fulfilled life unless you design it. If you're living by duty and not design, you're going to be living by the injected values of people around you instead of the in internal drives and intrinsic callings that you have inside. That's why I said on the movie, The Secret, many years ago, when the voice and the vision on the inside is louder than all opinions on the outside, you've begun to master your life. So fill your day with things that are truly meaningful and decide and take command of your life. Do you think for people that, you know, listening to that and thinking, you know, that sounds like a nice idea, but, you know, I've got mortgage, I've got kids, I've got all of these things. And obviously could be regarded as excuses, you know, the story that's getting in the way. But the person that's buried under layers and layers of story and history and all of this kind of stuff that feels completely powerless to that idea of taking agency of their life. Well, I'll share this. I don't remember what I've shared on all the other uh, the, the two shows we've done. But I was 27 years old. I was in practice. And I had one assistant. And she was doing administrative work and helping me at the front desk and taking care of collections and things of this nature. And I was doing most everything else. And I thought, you know, I went almost 10 years to college for a, a specialty. And I'm here, I'm doing stuff that's not necessarily the thing that's most inspiring and meaningful. And I felt a bit overwhelmed. And I didn't have the greatest income at the time. And I didn't have the greatest management of my time, I think. So I went to a bookstore. They had a series of bookstores called Walden's. <laughs> and I went to Walden's bookstore and I came across this book called The Time Trap by Alec McKenzie. And I pulled that book out and I started reading this thing. And it was one of those books, you know, it just was synchronous in your life. You know, it's just like, that's the book I needed right now. And after reading it, I decided to put a piece of paper together with five lines on it, six columns. And I made a list of every single thing that I did in a day. 
and I broke it down, not generalities like marketing, but all of the real, truly moment by moment action steps that I did in my life. Now, when I started this, I had debt and I had uh, I was a bit overwhelmed and I was trying to get by month to month and I made a little bit of profit, but it wasn't huge. I certainly wasn't living a luxurious life. And when I got through this exercise, making a list of every single thing that I was doing as I was doing it. I was already recognizing that I was majoring in minors and mining or majors, spent a lot of time on stuff that wasn't really, wow, wasn't inspiring. It wasn't most productive, et cetera. And I just stopped and I really did a reflection. Right after I finished that list, which was about eight pages, because I did a lot of stuff, you know, little, I, I wrote down everything that I did in a day. On the second column, I wrote down, how much does it produce per hour? How much money does that have to generate? Because if I'm, doing something that serves another human being and actually meeting their needs, they're willing to pay for whatever I'm providing. So I'm now measuring how much time am I actually dedicated to serving people? Because there's no income unless you do that. Yeah. If you're not doing something that's service, no one's going to pay. There's no income. And as I went through there, I had a deep realization. I realized that the very thing I went to professional school for wasn't the most productive thing, which is shocking. I found out that if I'm out exposing myself and doing a presentation in front of people, that I can actually generate more business and more financial opportunity than I am actually clinically going and doing clinical work, which is a bit shocking. So I made a list of every single thing that I did, and I extrapolated it by per hour. What does it produce per hour? And there were at least five pages, five pages of zeros. And the first three pages was things that actually produced an income. And some, the one that's speaking was thousands of dollars per hour because I could generate business and have clients. And then the clinical was about fifteen to 1800 an hour. And then it went down from hill from there. So I made that list and then I prioritized that list on production, what produced the most and what produced the least. I made a decision. I was also going to start charging for some of my actions I wasn't charging for because I had a fear about charging. I was fearing what would people think or, you know, this. And I started trying because I go, that's my time. It's my life. This is insane. Why am I not charging for these things that I'm doing? It's a service. So I raised some fees on it and took a lot of the zeros out. And I also prioritized it. And that was an eye opener because I knew right of way that I, if I keep doing lower priority things, I'm going to keep devaluing myself and so will the world. And I'm also going to hold myself back from being able to delegate things and give job opportunities and have time for family and all kinds of things. Then I went to the third column. How much meaning does it have on a one to 10 scale? And 10 meaning extreme meaning, really inspiring, that I can't wait to get up in the morning and do that. And one is like, ugh, got to do that. Something I have to do. You know, imperatives, got to, have to, must, should, ought to, supposed to, need to, way down low. And I prioritized that list. When I did, I, I prioritized that first that, that column three list and the column two list. And I looked at where the they overlapped, where was the most meaningful and the most productive. And then I prioritized that together. And that's where I needed to put my focus. Something that I can't wait to get up in the morning and be of service to, and people that can't wait to get it and willing to pay for it. And then I went to the next column. How much does it cost to hire somebody to do that? If I was to hire somebody to do that, what would be the actual cost? I mean, not just salaries, but down to the paperclip. 
the training, the the space, or the the plant management. I mean, the parking, everything. And then I looked at where was the spread between what it would cost versus what it would produce. And I made a list of all the costs if I was to delegate that. In the next column, I wrote down how much actual time do I spend on a day on this? What's real? What's a real, true object? You know, I want to be honest with myself. I, I was just kind of making assumptions, but I got really honest. And the final column was what is the final prioritization factoring all the variables? What I did, then I lined up 10 lines and divided all those activities into 10 jobs, put together a job description, hired somebody to do the lowest one, then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And 18 months after reading that book, from going from one assistant and myself in a 970 square foot office, I had five doctors, 12 staff members in a 5,000 square foot office making tenfold more income. And I didn't raise my lifestyle. I saved and invested it so my money would start working for me. Otherwise, I'm its slave and not its master. And my life changed and the trajectory changed and the opportunities changed and the level of the playing field I got to play with changed. The opportunities, ideas and associations started to go up. And all of a sudden, the people I was getting to interact with, the clients was happening. When I valued me, so did the world. And I mean, it made a difference. I am where I am because I learned to delegate. I, I'm where I'm at because I learned to prioritize. If you're not dedicated to what's highest in priority and not delegating what's lowest in priority, you're not going to maximize your full potential. And you're going to be you know, bogging yourself down with things that are uninspiring instead of being lifted up. And people say, well, that's because you're financially independent. You know, you're an ultra high net worth individual. What, you know, that's easy. No. See, that's where people are backwards. They think, well, when you get there, then I can do that. I got there because I did that. And I trained thousands of people on how to change their physician and change their finances. And then they all of a sudden aren't trapped because you're only trapped in your mind. You're only trapped in your belief system. You're only trapped because you're subordinated to some outer authority about how you should be instead of what your dream is and giving yourself permission to prioritize your life towards your dreams and not compare yourself to other people or not subordinate to outer influences. And to make sure you're dedicated to truly serving people and being of value to people. Because when you, there's no limit on what value we can offer the world if we're willing to care about people and go out of our way to help them. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was such an incredible tool that I think people can use in order to get clear on what's actually going on in their day and their life. And, and I think with how busy you know, life is for people, they might even hear that and think, oh, that's, that's just another task. But nothing changes unless something changes, right? You've got to actually do something that's out of the ordinary, that takes a bit of time, that, that requires your attention and a bit of deep thought in order to be able to actually action something that's different because mostly we're in autopilot. I haven't seen anybody that did that exercise that didn't say thank you. <laughs> it's like the idea that you never go to the gym and regret it. <laughs> yeah. Well, all I know is that... Uh, my life today, I teach, research, write, and travel. Anything that requires extrinsic motivation that I need to be reminded to do or incentivized to do, I don't do. I don't waste my time on anything that needs to be motivating me to do it. I delegate that to specialists who are inspired and love to do it. And surround myself with people that are way more competent than I am in that and get on to doing my one thing that I'm specialized in, and that is researching the laws of human behavior and teach. <laughs> That yeah. I can't wait to do. I'll do it 20 hours a day. You know, I have no problem. I spent 34 years 
30, almost 35 years on four hours sleep so I could do that. And I love doing that. And I still do that every day. And that's, that's what, uh, that's what keeps me inspired. Yeah. And your energy is inspiring for what you do and how long you've been doing it. I'm curious, what is the interface between, or at what point these two things interface where we're operating in a space that isn't of our highest values in, in that space of, we need motivation. We need to be reminded. And how does that affect our physiology? Oh, when you're living in your highest value and prioritizing your life and giving yourself permission to do what's really, you know, priority. I mean, almost anybody who's ever gone to work and then had an agenda and then knocked out that agenda by priority on the day and felt on top of the world came home and they could handle anything. And other people going to work and they got put out fires all day and they never got around to what was priority and they were bare when they get home. And so you're volatile, you're emotional, you're, you have cytokine responses, you have inflammatory responses. They found out that people can work 18 hours a day. If they're doing something they love to do, they don't have any symptoms of any inflammation. But if they're doing something that they can't really love doing, they're not inspired by it. Well, they could, but they're not inspired by it. Their immune system's affected. Their, their autonomics are affected. So every time you're doing something, time, your values are more objective. You're more self-governed. You have less impulses and instincts. You have, you have more autonomic regulation. You have more resilience and adaptability. You have more homeostasis and more longevity. And your space and time horizons get bigger because you achieve more and you believe you can achieve more and you start seeing bigger visions of your life. And when you do, you live longer. But if you're not doing priority and you're putting out fires all the time and you feel like you're having to do something and you feel like a victim of history, you're going to run your immune system down. You're going to end up attacking yourself. You're going to self-depreciate yourself. Your autonomics are going to be polarized and create symptomatology and epigenetic alterations and have gene expressions that are going to be subjectively biased. And you're not going to be adaptable to the environment. And you're going to be more infatuated and fear the loss of things and more resentful and fear the gain of things. And you'll be more, in a sense, out of governance. And those are symptomatologies and entropy and aging comes from that. So without a doubt, our physiology is responsive to our priorities in life. Yeah, that's so interesting. And what I think of as you describe that is jobs that I've been doing in the past or employed as and you know, in different roles. And yeah, work, the idea of going to work is just like mentally and you instantly think, oh, like, you know, oh, I've got to go and do this thing or I've got to go and partake in this meeting or this event or whatever. And it's, it's like, I really don't want to, but it's all I seem to have been able to create for myself in order to, you know, transfer my time or transact my time for money. Um, and uh, yeah, like, I don't know why anybody in high school saw my personality and suggested that I should be a scientist, <laughs> even though I am and I did okay at it. It's like, you know, I'm such an, a socially extroverted driven person and this, the scientific environment is very quiet and lots of reading and lots of focus. And so, and I did that, you know, for 10 plus years, but it really sucked my soul because there was just a lack of interaction, a lack of helping people in a social environment. And so I can really relate. I sort of reflect as you described that on, yeah, my idea of going to work as a scientist. And each year it would just get more and more like, oh, I'm so sick of reading papers. <laughs> well, every sign and symptom of your physiology and psychology is a feedback mechanism towards homeostasis and authenticity. It's a good way to think about homeostasis. So if you give yourself permission to be integral to yourself and not compare yourself to somebody else and not put people in pedestals of pitch, but put them in your heart 
and have reflective awareness and give yourself permission to prioritize your life, your life changes. I've had thousands of people follow that and watch the life change. The trajectory changes in their life. Then it has nothing to do with what you've been through or how you've been through this or that. And sitting there and wallowing about how whatever you think is in the way is all BS. You can take command of your life. It's just a matter of taking command and start prioritizing your life. And people say, well, what will people think of me? Well, if you have a fear of rejection, you're valuing them more than your dream. And you're going to hold yourself back from doing something that serves more people. I got to share a funny story. I'm 18 years old. I'm carpooling with a guy who's an engineer going to Wharton Junior College, Texas. And uh, we would drive 30 minutes to go to this little college. And he had a dream to build magnetic trains. And I had a dream to travel the world to be a teacher and philosopher. So we're telling each other our dreams. We're working on it. We're enjoying our conversations. And one day, one of his friends, who's a rich kid's, a spoiled little brat rich kid, joined us in the car. You know, one of those little arrogant dudes you just kind of want to punch sometimes. Yeah. Right? Totally. Having grown up in a very blue collar family in the countryside, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I was in the country. I lived in Richmond, Texas. There were 9,000 people in the whole city, you know. So we were in the car and I, we started to tell people, our, tell the guy our dreams. You know, I told him I wanted to travel the world and be a great teacher and, and more scholarly. And the other guy said, I'm going to build magnetic trains. We're going to have the fastest trains in the world built and everything else. And the guy in the back says, yeah, 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 yeah. John, because he knew me when I had learning problems. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably going to work on the cotton gin. Get over this stuff. This is delusional. You're not going to do that. You're going to end up working on the cotton gin. You know, you don't have what it takes. You're not going to leave this town. Everybody, no one leaves this town. You're, you're a small town guy. Just face it. And there's a part of this like going, you know, A-H. That's all I was, I was thinking in my mind. A-H, you know, what an A-H. And I, um, and anyway, we didn't let him come in the car anymore. So we just said, we, we're not letting him go with us because we wanted to talk about it. So life goes on. This is 50 plus years ago. I was 18. I'm 69 now. So put it together. It's almost 51 years. Last year, I was doing a webcast, web things or whatever, about 8,000 people online. And uh, my director in South Africa got a little message and said, is that the John Martini from Richmond, Texas? And she said, are you from Richmond, Texas originally? And I said, yes. She thought I was from Houston, so she didn't know. And I said, uh, yes. And said, who is it? Find out who it is. And so she said, who is it? John? That's John. Yes, I'm from Richmond, Texas. Who is this? And he says his name. And she sends it back to me. And I, I you know, I don't care if he was a, a, a kind of a, a H back then. Even if you haven't seen him in 50 years, you want to say hi to somebody. You know, it's just like, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, what happened to your life kind of thing? So I said, how's it going? I can't believe it. I haven't heard from you in 50 years since I kicked you out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he sent a message back and it said, and I'm not going to use the word. I'll just put friggin. You friggin did it, man. Nice. You friggin did it, man. I am sitting here absolutely inspired by your presentation. You friggin' did it, man. I can't believe I'm sitting here eating humble pie, listening to your speech. Wow. And when I got that, I got tears in my eyes. And I said, acknowledged him, you know. And I still haven't seen him because I haven't been to Richmond, Texas. But um, 
So very commonly, when you go on the path of authenticity and you start making a difference because you found your calling and you gave yourself permission to pursue it in a philanthropic way that makes a difference in the world, people are going to first ridicule you. They're going to oppose you. They're going to try to cut you down because they don't want you. It's like, you know, the crabs in the bucket. The second you start to get out, they'll pull you back down. And they're going to to oppose you and even get aggressive towards you. But if you stay with it, the very people that are aggressive at one time become the people who are fans, like this guy. And then they say, yeah, I knew him. He, I remember him telling me he was going to do this. Yeah, yeah. We're, we went to school together, you know. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. So don't let the outside naysayers interfere with the dream. The voice and the vision on the inside, as I said, is way more powerful than the opinions on the outside. So don't go by what tradition, convention, and mores say. Don't go by mothers and fathers and preachers and teachers and conventions and traditions. Go by what your soul calls you to do, your most authentic you where your greatest talent really is. See, mine is researching and teaching. So I do that every day of my life, seven days a week. And people say, well, how can you do that? I mean, that, isn't that crazy? And I said, no. And they said, why do you do that? You know, you're, you're independently wealthy. Why do you do that? Why do you work so hard? And I said, it's not work to me. And it's because I can. Because there was a time when I couldn't read. There was a time when I couldn't speak properly because I had a speech impediment. There's a time when I was considered the dunce. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to transcend the limitations that I once perceived. And I know that whoever's listening out there, whatever perceptions you have, don't let any outside perception stop you from what you know in your heart and you feel really called to do. And give yourself permission to shine, not shrink. Don't don't sit there and play small with your life. You know, I've... I made a goal when I was 17 years old to step foot in every country in the faith of the earth and, and share my research with people. 194 countries now I've spoken from. That's so incredible. I'm still going. And I got a few more coming up this next year, 2024. I'm going to probably add between three and four new countries. So I'm, I'm pretty inspired by it. I'm still working on that goal. I'm a slow accomplisher. 51 <laughs> years, 52 years, I'll have some of those goals done. But who cares? If you stay with something long enough, everybody else dies out, you end up at the top. You just got to make sure they die out, live long enough. The strategy of just staying the longest. I like it. Yeah. I like it. And I'd be so curious to, to sit down with that guy like, and the, you, know, you and see the two of you interact and I'd be so curious to see where he's at with his life and his health. And So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. 
So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Well, I'd give him a huge hug today. I give him a huge hug and tell him, I'll tell him the story. You know, he probably remembers the story, maybe different or whatever, but yeah. Now the real truth is when he knew me, I had dropped out of school because I, I wasn't able to pass school. So that's what he knows about me. So his reference is the past of me. Yeah. He didn't see the one that was dedicated to overcoming my challenges and go out and become, you know, more knowledgeable. I never thought I was going to be intelligent until I was 17. I thought I was going to make surfboards. <laughs> Which would have been a great service for all the surfers in the world. It would have been a great service. Some of my guys, I mean, I see surf movies today with the guys I used to surf with. So, and I got in three surf movies and a surf book and some magazines when I was a teenager. So I was doing pretty good, but not academically intelligent. I was surf intelligent. I, I knew how to uh, talk to girls. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to start with learning how to communicate. And, yeah. And, yeah. But, but I, I'm very grateful that I, my trajectory changed because I have a pretty amazing life today. And I, I tell people, you give yourself permission to create the life. If you don't live by design, you're going to live by duty. Yeah. If you don't decide how you want your life and master plan it. I'm a firm believer in master plan my life. I've planned out my, my life. And all the things that I plan are coming true. So I tell people, but many people, when they set goals, they set fantasies. And then they have doubts and insecurities. And then they, they say things like, well, you want to make God laugh, you know, tell them your goals. <laughs> well, what they do is confuse real objectives with fantasies. What is the difference there? And I try to help people discern the difference. A fantasy is an assumption of something that's got a positive without a negative, And a goal really has positives and negatives. It's like a relationship. If you think you're going to get a relationship with all support, never challenge, all peace, never war, all positive, never negative, you got a delusion. You have a fantasy. But if you understand that a relationship is going to give you nice and mean and kind and cruel and positive, negative and peace and war and considerate and inconsiderate and stingy and generous and all those things, now you're ready for a relationship because it's now a true objective. Well, the same thing in life. If you expect yourself to be one-sided or expect life to be one-sided or people to be one-sided, you're going to end up being depressed. Because you're comparing your current reality to a fantasy about how it's supposed to be. But if you set real objectives and you're with real plans and real strategies and make real objectives out of things, you achieve amazing things. And then you're looking forward to taking on challenges. If you don't fill your day with challenges that inspire you, it fills up with challenges that don't. And the challenges that don't inspire you are called distressful. But the challenges that are inspiring are called stressful, And they help wellness promote promotion instead of illness promotion. So I, I look for challenge. I, I'm trying to find every psychological issue that people have in the world, and I have worked towards finding solutions. And I've found solutions, brand new, innovative solutions that are transcending what common psychology is using. And those things inspire me to find solutions for people. So the, the, the greater the problems you are willing to solve in life, the greater the life you get to have. So look for problems. Don't avoid them. Look for problems that you can contribute a solution for and watch the opportunities in your life emerge. Yeah, I think it's a really good distinction between the the goal and the fantasy because I think a lot of people think, you know, they watch TV, social media and see all of the highlight reels of people's life and think that, 
you know, I don't necessarily, I want to be a millionaire because I want to spend millions of dollars rather than, yeah. uh, rather than I want to be the person that has to do the work and go on a journey to create millions of dollars. Yeah. I, I learned a long time ago when I was in my twenties, when I did the time trap that deferred gratification builds wealth and immediate gratification destroys it. And people, many times, if you really value wealth building, you'll put your money into things that go up in value and you'll leave it there. Yeah. And if you are not valuing wealth and yourself, you'll put things in that go down in value, you'll buy consumables that depreciate in value. And most people don't realize you can't get ahead buying depreciables. <laughs> you only get ahead by buying appreciables. And if you want to be appreciated in life, buy appreciables. And so I deferred to gratification while everybody else was trying to live the great lifestyle. I just kept saving and investing up to 53% of my gross income from my business went into wealth building. And then all of a sudden, now it makes me millions of dollars. I've made a million dollars in a day, one day, million dollars off investing. Wow. So I know the difference of what it is to have deferred gratification. And that was, a, that was a fantasy when I lived on the streets as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, that wasn't real until I got really grounded and set a strategy in place and made a commitment to building wealth. And once I did, the average person, when you, when they think of wealth building, they don't think of actually investing money and buying assets. They think of the consuming of the lifestyles of rich and famous yeah. and they want to spend their money and they can't get financial independence spending the money all. You have to be able to let the money work for you and grow for you. I remember reading a line in Think and Grow Rich, basically said the only way to be a millionaire is to learn how to keep it. Yeah. Well, what Warren Buffett says, rule number one is don't lose your money. Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, so I'm a firm believer. I've been, I've been investing 41 years, now over 41 years. Now I'm going to my 42nd year. I've been investing every single week for 41 years. And whatever I earn, a certain portion of it, uh, a minimum amount or a percentage goes into investing every single week for 41, almost 42 years. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly useful habit that people need to develop. Uh, oh, in order to- I, I didn't even, it wasn't even thing. It was simply going to a, an event investment company and having it electronically transfer where there's no way I can screw it up. <laughs> yeah, that automation. If you put emotions between you and money, it's going to go out the window. But if you put strategies in there and do it electronics in there and automate it, it goes into your investments. So I buy investments in a week. It's kind of funny how we've gone full circle and gone to the benefit of AI in the context of money. <laughs> well, say use AI to your advantage. Don't let it distract you. Use it to to fulfill. That's what I said earlier. Yeah. Prioritize the use of your AI and use it to your advantage. Yeah. The other thing, thinking about um, that guy that reached out to you from back in Richmond, and also reflecting on you know my own youth and growing up, is the importance of getting around different people. Because when he made comments like that to you about the reality that he had witnessed of you, he was also obviously reflecting a part of his own belief for himself, was that which is that I will never yes. get out, and the people that I know have never gotten out. And I think that you know, and, and in health, and I've mentioned this a lot on the show, is that anyone that's done a health degree, you do the social determinants of health, which are the biggest influence before your genetic code, you know, on the way that your health will go. And I think that that's the same thing with the success of your life: is that social determinants of health will influence your success as well, because you're thinking within the box of all of the people around you. Well, I learned many years ago, gosh, my wife passed away almost 20, 19 years ago. And um, so probably 1990 something, seven, six, something like that. We asked ourselves where we were living in New York at the time, where would the highest dollar valued individuals be hanging out and living? And we 
believe it or not, even though the crazy Donald's involved in this, we moved into Trump Tower. Yeah, right. So in the mid 90s. And uh, we first rented for a year and then we bought something on the 62nd floor. So I was next door to Steven Spielberg across from Kenny Rogers next to the guy from Guest Jeans. Right above us was Sophia Loren and Bruce Willis. And right above that was Michael Jackson's wife and sometimes him and Bruce Willis. And then there was a Donald above it. So we were positioned pretty good. And there was a billionaire lady right below us. And there was another actress. And there's also Anna Winters from Vogue was right just a couple of doors, a couple of floors down. So we had a really nice, great group of people. Then I moved in 2001 onto my ship. So I've been there 22 years and there's 22 billionaires that live on that ship. And now I'm surrounded by people that are, you know, done extraordinary things on the planet. And I mean, they're moving on, on large scales. And without a doubt, when we moved into those positions and associate with different people, instead of sitting there, uh, you know, letting people go, why do you need all that? And, you know, why, why is it, you know, you're, you're greedy or they have that mindset. They said, you know, they encourage you to say, so why not do global influence? Why not hang out with the, the people that make the biggest difference in the world? And so that expanded our trajectory. And so without a doubt, if you surround yourself with people that have a bigger playing field, you get a bigger playing field. I always say, go and learn from people that are expanded and go and share that knowledge of people that have been more contracted and expand people and keep moving in the direction of expansion. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I want to have less knowledge or less awareness. No one gets up in the morning and says, I want to have less achievement. No one gets up in the morning and says, I want to have less financial positioning or less love and intimacy or less social positioning or less health and wellness or less inspiration. We have a natural tendency to want to live authentically, and we have symptoms that are feedback in our physiology to try to kick us in the butt to make sure we're living authentically according to priority, and we do extraordinary things when we do. So the universe is actually doing it what it can to help you do something extraordinary with your life. And I'm a believer that everything is ultimately on the way if you interpret it through eyes that see that. If, if you're sitting there playing victims of history, you'll hold yourself back. And if you run stories, stop the story and get into action on something that's meaningful and watch what happens. The story changes. There's a quote that lives on my whiteboard by Jordan Peterson, or it's a question actually, and it's, he often asks it when talking to people about how to suss where they are out, figure out where they are out in their life, and then develop a plan to move forward. And it's like, what remarkably stupid thing am I doing to mess up my life? And you know, he sort of says that there's at least 100 things that everybody can put down because there's so many things that we are aware of and that, that are there that we just are in routine and cycle you know, and habit of doing. And I think that we look at these people that are successful or ultra healthy or whatever it might be and think, oh, I'm not like them, or they've got all of these for good fortune that I don't have. And I think people need to come to terms with the fact that they were just once exactly the same as you, full of limiting beliefs, you know, full of restriction. And the, these were all fantasies and ideas that felt impossible. But getting out of that space and using their physiology, whether it be symptoms, disease, sickness, as a sign that, oh. As a catalyst. Yeah. What remarkably stupid thing am I doing to make myself ill, you know, could be the, yeah. the, the reiteration of that question. Exactly. You know, I had a boy who was abandoned, an orphan, and um, was raised by a foster family and going to a psychologist. And the psychologist, in my opinion, was not helping. The psychologist said, well, children that have your beginnings statistically have these problems. Like, that's, that's not where it's at, as far as I'm concerned. So I, I, I was asked to, to talk with the boy. 
And I said, listen, I said, can you, can you, you know how to get on your phone and look up things on Google? He says, yeah. I said, I want you to look something up. He says, what is that? I want you to look up the most famous, most powerful celebrities that started out as orphans and abandoned. And we found 700 names. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> Pretty big one. So we, we went right down the list of people that started out just like him. And anyone that he knew, uh, we talked about. Anyone we didn't know, we made him look up those people and the impact they had and, and made him read his thing. Uh, Paul Nurse, how about this one? Paul Nurse, who's a Nobel Prize winner who I've met and spent time with, he, um, he found out when he was getting the Nobel Prize, when they selected for the Nobel Prize, they said, we need an authentic biography of your life. So he said, okay, it has to be documented. And he said to, to put it in for the Nobel Prize. So he said, great. He started looking. He found out that who he thought his mother and father was, wasn't his mother and father. Whoa. He found out that his older sister, who was 12 years old, got pregnant. And that was his, that was his mother. What a twist. And what a way to find out. Yeah. So now here's the kick. He did not know his mother and father, and, and they raised him because they were a bit humiliated by having a daughter that got pregnant at a young age. So they moved the daughter away to live in a different city. And once she delivered the baby, no one would know about it, and they would raise the child. Right? So when he goes for the Nobel Prize and they go find that out, he insists that he wants to have and meet with his, his biological mother, sister. Now. Deep inside, he had an intuition about his genetic code and his real biological origin. So he got the Nobel Prize for genetics and the origin of life. Interesting. So he tells the story, if it wasn't for his mother doing exactly what she was doing and what the parents did, he would not have gotten the Nobel Prize. So he was thanking everybody concerned. Now, that's wisdom. Now, he could have been a victim and said, well, my mother abandoned me and my parents lied to me. And then they, they can easily go and put that together and compare all those actions to fantasies and ideals and all that stuff and never appreciate anything. He turned it into thank you and thanked his, his biological mother before she died and also thanked his parents because they did exactly what was needed for him to achieve the drive to want to know his origin. Such a good reframe of that situation. I love that you set that kid down. Exactly. So that's why I say, whatever's happened in your life, ask this question. There's seven questions you might want to ask every day. What is it I would absolutely love to do in life? Number two, how do I get handsomely and beautifully paid to do it? How can I make millions doing what I really love to do? And I got a client, I may have said this, I don't know in the past. I got a client that I asked that question to, and she made $100 million with a dog, turning him into a famous dog. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an amazing story. But if you go and ask, how, what is it I would absolutely love to do in life? How do I get handsomely and beautifully and millions doing it? What are the highest priority actions I can do today to move me in the step closer to get that outcome? Every day, the top seven actions. What if I do these things, I'll move one step closer. What obstacles might I run into and how do I solve in advance? What what might interfere with that? And what do I do to mitigate that? What worked? What didn't work each day? How do I do it more effectively, efficiently tomorrow? And how did no matter what happened today, 
how did it help me get my dream? And if you ask those seven questions, I guarantee your life's going to change. <laughs> if you really do that every single day, even 30 days will have a massive change on your life. Just 30 days, do that one exercise of those seven questions. The quality of your life is basically quite the questions you ask. And the purpose of great questions is to make you conscious of what you're unconscious of. Because when you're unconscious, you have disorder in your life. And when you're fully conscious and see the whole, you have order. You see the magnificence. And there is a magnificence in your life, but you may not have ever imagined it because you keep comparing it to a fantasy about how it's supposed to be instead of honoring it the way it is. For anybody listening, hit pause, go back, write those questions down and do that 30 days. I think that's a good challenge for everybody. Start with 30 days. Yeah. It's good. I like it. Massive change. Yeah. This, I mean, this conversation is so inspiring. So I really hope that that's, that's how it lands with everybody else. I'm feeling really energized by this and these ideas and wanting to do that same seven questions for 30 days. I, I feel really good about it. Um, where can everybody else find the rest of your stuff online? Because there's obviously so much of your world. Where do we send them? Well, you can find me a lot of places, but if you go online to drdmartini.com, that'll be my website, just drdemartini.com, drdmartini.com. And um, you can stay, you know, I was joking with a guy from India the other day. I said, you're going to have to, I shook my head and, like, and had some fun with him. I said, I said, you're going to have to believe in reincarnation. And he says, why? And I said, because you will not be able to go through everything that's sitting on my website that could be of value to you. <laughs> <laughs> you have to come back next slide because there's a lot on there. But if you go just to the media section, there's thousands of interviews. If you go to YouTube, if you go to just start digging in the, into the website, uh, there'll be an, it's an educational website. It, it'll be it'll be of value to people. And I'm very grateful to be able to participate you know, in, in your, like your podcast and other podcasts, I'm so grateful I get to do that because I get to reach people and touch people's lives that I wouldn't touch. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm very grateful that I get to spend time with you and uh, be a part of your mission in some small way and connect you with new people. So um, thank you. And I'll put all of those links down in the show notes below so that everybody can get them. So scroll down there, grab them if you feel a resonance here in this conversation and you want to change your life in a positive way. And by the way, and whoever does go on there, Go to the determine your values section and take 20 or 30 minutes of your time to answer 13 questions to help you really def identify what's truly priority to you. That's a really important exercise to do. I think every, I don't know of anybody that's done that that hadn't said, wow, that's helpful. Yeah, I've done it a couple of times over the years, actually, that, that one. Yeah, it's very useful. Yeah. It, it really lets you know more about yourself that was probably or possibly not so obvious before. And then once it's there, you're like, oh, of course. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, your life is your life demonstrates your values. And when you look at smack in the face, you get to start setting goals that are real. Yeah. Great. So thank you again for your time and energy. And just to finish up, and maybe we can make it relevant to this idea of inspiration and changing your life. But what is one piece of health information that um, people in the modern world need to know more about in the context of the conversation we've had today? Well, you know, you can live to eat or you can eat to live. I don't waste my time living to eat. I don't go, what's, when I'm eating breakfast, what am I going to eat at lunch? What am I going to eat? Dinner? I don't live that way. I live to perform. I eat to perform. I ask, what is the highest priority food I can put in my body to maximize my performance and potential as a human being to achieve what I'm here for? And if you do, you'll eat wisely. You'll drink more fluids and water. You'll eat more quality foods. 
You'll fuel your body. Imagine you're about to do a, a major performance. My, my girlfriend is an amazing singer and actress. And when she's got a major performance, she's very disciplined. If you fill your day with high priority actions and you know you've got a massive performance at doing something great that you love doing, you're not going to want to blow it on something that's unfulfilling and unproductive in eating. You want to eat the maximum performance food. And so that's what I'd say in health. You will, when you prioritize your life, you maximize your performance. So prioritize your food, prioritize what you feed your mind, and prioritize what you drink, prioritize who you associate with, prioritize your objectives, make sure that they are sticking to the highest priority things, and your life changes. Fantastic. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate you being here, and um, I'm certain we'll get you back in the future. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you really soon. I look forward to it. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode or learnt anything at all, the gift of your five-star rating would be incredibly helpful. And what's even more powerful is if you write a review. You can do it below each episode on Spotify every time an episode comes out. And inside Apple Podcast, simply find the main page of this show with all the episodes on it, scroll to the bottom, hit write a review, share your amazing feedback, and then hit send. It helps this show grow tremendously and allows me to successfully invite bigger and more famous guests each time we do the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us climb the charts, climb the algorithm and help more people. Oh, and by the way, I have a short disclaimer as well. I just wanted to quickly remind you that the information provided on this podcast is for general informational purposes only. While we strive to bring you accurate and up-to-date content, it's important to note that a lot of this is mixed with opinions, stories, and ideas not supported by mainstream science or medicine. Any advice or suggestions should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult a healthcare provider before making any decisions about the health and wellness of you and your family. Remember too that what works for one person may not work for another. And just as we promote on the show, each person is responsible for their own health decisions. Thank you for tuning in to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. And now, the next episode. Here it is.